You're listening to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. The Catholic Psyche Podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not intended to take the place of medical or mental health treatment, therapy, or diagnosis. You should always consult a trained mental health or medical professional for such treatment. Hey, you're listening to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. Uh, I'm Deacon Basil. This is Chris. This is Sarah. And Shree. And today we're going to be talking about something that I admittedly don't have much personal experience with, uh, and that's dating. Um, So this whole concept of dating, this is something that we as a Catholic church talk about quite a lot. And I think sometimes we get really fixated on my future spouse, who uh, I'm going to, uh, who I'm going to uh, meet next and how I'm going to have this, this wonderful sort of fairy tale experience. And it doesn't always work out that way. Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) It's like kind of fun to hear people's horror stories though, you know, like uh, Catholic match. I mean, it it works for a lot of people, but uh, I've also heard a lot of people, uh, uh, have a few unfortunate experiences using different online approaches. So uh, I think that's, you know, the, the same with any kind of online. That's true, yeah. Thing. I mean, I think there's a temptation to say that Catholic dating is radically different than secular mm-hmm. dating. And I do think there is some some differences. Um, but I also think there's a lot of similarity, too. Mm-hmm. Before we start, I just want to say it's really nice to be, be in a room with the crew again. This is the yeah. first time yeah. in a while we've had... Uh, you know, all the core members of the Catholic Psyche team. So yeah. I hope the listeners are as jazzed as I am about that. Yeah. I, I agree entirely. I mean, I, I, yeah, I have nothing more to say aside from my well, mystery. It's good guys. to hang out with all of you again. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. So dating. Dating in the Catholic scene. I think that's, it is particularly different, I feel. It is. Um, that's one of the sources of tension, though, because I think. No one knows quite how to navigate that because we want it to be different from like secular dating, Mm -hmm. but we also don't want to go back to like troubadour medieval courtship or arranged marriage. Like Mm -hmm. we don't know quite how to reconcile tradition with modernity with respect to dating. You guys know what I mean? Yes. So much. (laughs) And everyone just needs to chill a little, I think. And there's this huge obsession with the ideal of courtship. The ideal of courtship, but I feel like at least I went to Franciscan. Oh, yeah. So. I went to Benedictine. So. Okay. <laughs> Those are two. I've been in secular institutions my entire life. Public school, a state university. So I feel like what would, like, granted, in a secular college, the horror stories I hear about, you know, these young adults just hooking up with this person and this person and going out with this person and just getting cheated on and hurt. Mm-hmm. Like, that's pretty much the culture that I hear from a lot of secular colleges. Yeah. But I feel that at a college like Franciscan or Benedictine, it's almost like too much of the opposite. There's almost like not enough dating. Yes. And there's too much focus on discernment. There's so much focus on discernment and... We had the catchphrase, ring by spring, for seniors. Did you have that, too? I didn't, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. What but the I feel, heck does no, that mean? I, I feel, oh, I know exactly what that <laughs> no, means. You know what it yep. means, though. Yes, but I feel like we didn't, at least ring I wasn't, I, at least I wasn't aware of 
I was too busy to date in college, that, so I was just but, out of it. And then there's like your scene, like scene, like I've heard this too. Women at like uh, Franciscan mm-hmm. University of Steubenville and other you know devout Catholic colleges get like senior year, the senior year scaries. I just yeah. made that up, that term, but like w- worrying that like if I'm gonna find the one, it's gonna, it's gonna be, be here. here. Yeah, and since I haven't now. found him yet, yeah. and I'm in my senior year, I'm freaking out. Oh my gosh! But I saw that so much at mm-hmm. school. All the girls would be just so anxious of like nobody's asking me out no i'm not dating anybody like this is where i'm supposed to meet my husband like that was the purpose of going to franciscan was to meet your spouse yes there were people at benedictine who like whose sole purpose of going to this school was to meet their future spouse people i just want to say college is not the place to meet your spouse college is the place where you go get an education (laughs) I mean, Sarah, yeah. it can or can't be. It can or can't be. I don't want to... I mean, you... I'm sorry. I just... This is a whole <laughs> side that I literally had never thought of. So you're telling me that there's this... That, that You're telling me that there's such a drive to get married that they have this entire, like... That there's this level of anxiety... Yes. Yes. That is... That is so palpable that, like, it's... Yeah. Yes. But but that's the anxiety on, I would say, more so on the female side. But the male anxiety is, I kind of like her. I don't know. I haven't spent much time with her. But I don't know if I should ask her out. Like, I need I need to pray about it for like a month. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I understand that. Because, I think, I think, because women go, oh, we had one date and then we have a second date. So we're going to get married and have 12 children. And I named them all after... The first uh, saints from the Eucharistic prayer. Mm, the guy with prayer commitment one. problems is like, uh, I might be a priest, there. actually. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I, okay. So, this is, so this would say, really this is specifically, I would say, college culture. Yes. Okay. So, this is college dating culture, and we can get a little bit more into the, the young adult after college culture as well for dating I feel like because that's a that's that's a little bit more yes you do I um, went to seminary man I don't know any of this there was no ring by spring thing in the seminary let me tell you that so we have like on one side of the room two women who've been in the thick of it and like are in it and then on the other side, we have two outsiders dispassionately observing, like anthropologists on Mars. Right. Like, interesting. I've noticed that the Catholics, when they engage in their dating rituals, tend to approach each other with a high level of anxiety in their native habitat. Okay. I, That's actually really ironic. Both you guys are married, and both of us are. Well, you're dating. I'm dating. And I'm. Alive. You know, just remind, <laughs> reminder, you can disclose as little uh, or as much as you want on this podcast that strangers listen so, to. Um, yeah. I know. I say, I, also, I just want to notice um, how weird it is that you guys are listening to us talk about things. And I appreciate it a lot, but thank you, Listener Land, for existing. I don't think we've ever once thanked our listeners. So, yeah, I second that. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> for listening to strange... Intellectual people talk about strange ideals and notions. Yeah. I feel like I should say thank you, but yeah, yeah I, I appreciate it. Now, back to this anxiety. <laughs> so so I, I can even think about, gosh, I probably am working with like 20 different clients right now that are messaging me because they're depressed and anxious because of their dating life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That it's overwhelming, that they don't know what to do, and it's scary. 
Mm-hmm. I also hear I just can't meet anyone. Yeah. I don't know what is going on. Like, I hear that so often from both men and women. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be a disconnect there because I hear from men. There's, there are no ca- single Catholic women. There's just, they're not, they're not out there. I can't find it. And then I hear from Catholic women, like, I'm going nuts over here because I can't find a Catholic guy. Do they exist? I have always played with the idea, if it weren't incredibly illegal and completely unethical, of just having a cocktail with all of our clients, a cocktail hour, and just being like, <laughs> You all tell me that you're lonely, that you can't find anyone. So here, let's all just get together. Find a person, and then and then you're doing too. couples counseling. Right, doing couples counseling. In the theater. Well, but I, no, I, a line from a blogger I, I used to read: uh, uh, "The common denominator in all your failed relationships is you." Yeah. So maybe a little of that individual counseling could do you some good first. No, absolutely. So this concept of the post-college yeah. dating. I mean. If there's that anxiety in the Catholic, sort of intensely Catholic culture right now, mm-hmm. how does that manifest it? Because we know that, I mean, at least Chris and I as the uh, dispassionate um, people here understand that. Mm-hmm. But what does that look like kind of practically and how does that change um, from the college experience? Well, outside of college, I feel like especially in the Catholic culture, there's a lot of use of online dating mm-hmm. because the Catholic circle in your community community where you live sometimes gets really small so you almost start to know everybody in your circle and you have to decide whether or not you want to date within that circle circle. and most people are too afraid yeah because then things get awkward and messy so yeah i've heard that about catholic colleges especially where the student population is Mm -hmm. like a little bit smaller than say a big secular state university Mm -hmm. like Everyone knows who's dating who, and every and there's you know like your entire friend group is kind of in, uh, enmeshed in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, enmeshed is a good word for that. Yes. Family therapy term. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that I think that's completely right. Of, gosh, I lost my train of thought of what we were talking about. So online dating. dating. On, so there's a lot of online dating, but you don't want to yeah. you don't want to date someone within your circle. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and. I feel like that's similar in college. Yeah, you said that was totally lost. We can cut this out. <laughs> Somebody right. else talk. <laughs> that that there's this this similarity between both of them because the Catholic culture, whether it's on a university campus or if it's out in the Catholic world, you know, I hear about the whatever insert city young adult community. Yeah. Where you're already taking a large population, then you're shrinking that down into young adults, and okay. then you're shrinking that down into Catholics who. Um, and then you're shrinking that down into Catholics who are interested in attending a young adult group um, and, single. You know, and single and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller so that, you know, you go to a city like Denver mm-hmm. where you have, you know, I think it's 2 million people here. And then the dating pool in those kind of uh, places is actually not that large well, as far as huge. interest. And, and But Denver is large. I've been to other cities with young adult Catholic communities that were substantially smaller. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's it's this, this, this constricting of... of uh, of concentric circles of, of reducing the population of available people. And let's be honest, there's a situation where you're going to walk into a room and really not want to marry anyone in it. Yeah. <laughs> that does happen. Yes. Right. And that's a good thing. It's but, okay. But at the same time, I think at the very beginning, like that question of, okay, is there anybody in this room I'd marry? Like sometimes that is the Catholic question. Yes. And... I, I think that's the wrong question. It is definitely the wrong question. I, I think that the first question was, do I even want to hang out with this person? Right. And then the discernment comes. I, I don't think the discernment's necessarily bad, 
But I feel like for most Catholics, the discernment is the first thing. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to discern something if you've never even built a connection with that person. It's easy to psych yourself out when you're thinking yeah. about marriage, which is, which is uh, you know, um, which is sacramental, yeah. which is permanent, which is a decision that affects the rest of your life. Yeah. See, it's interesting that you said psych yourself out. Yeah. Because I think you can also psych yourself up to marriage. It was like, well, we have to. I mean, it's no, the last, well, it's the last yeah, week absolutely. of... We've been dating of, for, yeah, for we, two years, and it's senior year, and we're about to go on Easter break, and and it's it's true to him. And, and if he doesn't propose to me on Easter Sunday or during Easter week, like when they're all the lilies, and it's beautiful, like, I just I just don't know if he's the one. My heart rate just, like, shot up. <laughs> right? Yeah, well... You know you know that girl. So I want to just say one quick word in defense of Catholic dating. Um, I like that it has a, a, a telos. I like that it has an, an end. Dating isn't an end unto itself in Catholic culture. It is ordered to, to marriage. So, you know, uh, I have a few friends... Okay, Sarah can rebut me. Uh, yeah, Sarah is about ready to And I would love it if she rebutted me, because my favorite Sarah moments are when she disagrees with me, but... <laughs> But uh, but I you know I have friends who who um, who don't you know don't don't identify with a religious tradition and t- typically um, you know outside of uh, traditional religious circles uh, dating dating is approached differently and they you know they date they date just to date and they can be with someone for years and years and years and years and then and then there's this sort of like aimlessness and restlessness mm-hmm. that sets in with that because you know if you're not working towards something uh, why why do it. I, I, I agree with that last part of you don't want to just aimlessly start dating somebody right? and it going nowhere for years. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you want to be able to be free enough to know you're not going to have all the answers at the front. Oh, totally, totally. That it's okay not to know, like, where life's going to lead you necessarily and if it's going to lead to marriage. But hey, let's go to the park and see if we can laugh together, have fun together, and not always be serious. No, absolutely. I just mean, you know, you, you don't have to know the end necessarily with this person, but just knowing that dating dating generally yeah. is ordered to marriage. You absolutely. Don't get, like, this is the reason why dating is typically discouraged in seminaries is because it would be a bit counterproductive <laughs> to be teaching seminarians how to get better at asking women out. When their <laughs> lives at that moment are ordered to the discernment of this particular religious vocation that in the West involves celibacy. But sure. I want to hear Sarah like lay into me and be like, nah, you're okay. wrong. Okay, what bothered me about what you were saying was the telos of dating and is marriage, yes. But for so many Catholics, they think that is the telos of their lives and that is mistaken. Okay. Like, we think that we exist in order to date someone, in order to marry them. And once we get married, that, that's the end. That's what we live for, right? No, that's totally wrong. Exactly. It's completely wrong. But so many people have that mistaken idea. Yeah. Like, once I get married, everything will be fine and my life will be complete. And it's like, no. That's Your sort of telos? Heresy, actually. It is completely heresy. Plus, it's bad advice from a psychological perspective. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But some people, the, the women are so lost in their identity and what they're supposed to be doing in their life if they're not married. 
I think that's kind yeah, of what yeah, you're getting people, at. Yeah, people think yeah. their ultimate vocation is marriage. Your ultimate vocation is sainthood. Yeah, no, it's, it's to, you know, the, what's the old Baltimore catechism, you know, to know, uh, to to, know, to love, know love and serve, serve God, God in this life and be happy with him forever in the next. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that let me, may or let me, may not involve marriage. Well, there's different ways of achieving that. One is marriage. The other is, you know, consecrated celibacy. The other one is religious vocation. Let me, let me kind of do a group technique here, which is to summarize everyone and say that I think we actually all agree on everything here. Yes. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, Chris, you're saying that you, you see that there can be the advantage of dating within a Catholic culture is that you have this added benefit of you, you, there's a direction to it. It's not this aimlessness, um, but it, 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 there's a direction to it. On the other hand, Cherie, you were mentioning that um, that there that this direction can also be this overburdening kind of thing, kind of decision making, decision making. Up front yep. That almost prevents them from even getting to know each other. Right, and so from, and yeah, so it's not from even being relaxed and right. It's not a walk in the open, park. Yeah, yeah. literally. It's, this is the story we're going to tell our great-grandchildren, right? Yeah. Just go for a walk in the park. Which it could be there. And Sarah, you're also pointing out that there's this added sort of struggle here of that there's, there's, there's this inability to see anything beyond, beyond the um, kind of world outside of marriage. Mm-hmm. Where sometimes I think, I think sometimes the dark side of the pro-life movement, something we don't talk about very often, is to fixate so much on... Um, not contracepting or fighting abortion in every way that we don't see the negative side of that, which could be we're going to be pushing for life. Um, we, we always push for life, but we're pushing to be so aggressive um, that we're not looking at maybe the best marriage that we can have, which right. might mean getting married six months after you, um, you know, after sort of the the, the, mm-hmm. the, the culture kind of moves towards it. And I, I, I think actually, is that a fair assessment of everyone's yeah. kind of yeah, position? Yeah, I appreciate you it's, summarizing. It, it's this. Uh, it's a good group therapy. Too. I, 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 thank you. I was. Uh, I'm. I am highly trained and specialized. Um, <laughs> channeling your. I'm your, channeling your, my uh, yalom. Yeah, my yalom. <laughs> he was a psychotherapist. Wrote the the text <laughs> on group. the group on group therapy. Everybody should read it. Um, that is a therapist. Sarah. Um, so I'll read it eventually. You get there. You get there. But um, and for for the record, whatever their textbook is that they're going to have you read, um, just just, just read throw Yala. that out and just read y'all. Yeah, it's not <laughs> even worth reading the other books. But my point about this is that, as with all things in in the church, it's actually a dance. There's intensity on one side, mm-hmm. but too much on that direction. If you go too far, you get into trouble. Mm-hmm. And if you go too far to the other side, you yeah. get into trouble. And I think sometimes the secular world, as Chris was saying, the secular world goes too far into saying that um, there is no end of, of dating. It's just simply we're having fun. Yeah. And then the other hand, we can um, perhaps what, what um, the two ladies here are saying is that it's the opposite where it's everything has to be um, directed mm-hmm. towards marriage instead of just having fun. Yeah. And I think I'm just curious about this. My wife, I don't know that it's all about having fun. I would. I think that that might be a mischaracterization of, of secular. No, practice. no. I, I I think you're right. But th- there's this aimlessness within it. Right. You know, we're not ultimately. Uh, there's no um, commitment is not the right word. But there's no. Um, boy, what am I looking for? There's no purpose. There's no end you know, goal. Um, yeah, we're gonna have to like cut this out and cut this back in and splice it. But uh, you know, like there there's no promise. You know, maybe that's what sure. I'm trying to get at. 
there's no direction. Yeah. With that, but but without marriage, without marriage, you know, uh, indefinite dating lacks lacks this uh, this guaranteed, right? Like you know, this can fall apart, and certainly we see we see that with marriages all the time, right? Marriages fall apart too, but but with marriages, you know, you at least enter into it with this presumption that this is sort of a this is like a, a permanent structure now that will forever change the course of our lives. Right. Dating, you know, and, and dating is sort of like it's always provisional, and so you have the daily anxiety of waking up in a provisional relationship. Yeah. I, don't know. Sure. I, I have a lot of friends who've just been. Yeah recently broken up after like six, seven, eight, nine, ten sure, years of yeah. dating, of dating, not of marriage. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can absolutely empathize with that. I mean, one of the reasons why my wife and I got married as young and as early as we did was because it's like, look, life is going to suck no matter what. I'd rather have it suck with you than uh, suck and not. That's you know? romantic. Um, <laughs> In a bitter way. Okay. So yeah. But yeah. So what was coming to my mind though is... I'd love to, you guys can argue with me and let me know if you have any other ideas, but I almost have like some guidelines or ideas for our listeners who are in the dating world of guys, if you're thinking about asking a girl out, ask her out. Yes. Girls, if a guy asks you out, unless he seems unsafe, go out with him. Yes. At least once and note that you don't really ever really know somebody and you're not comfortable with somebody until at least like the third. And after the third, you're still not comfortable with that person and you still really can't have a conversation, then it's not meant to be. But in the meantime, dating, but dating should be fun. It should be. It should be being able to look back and be like, yeah, I found the right person, but you know what? I've gone on some fun dates. They were kind of cool, but we're not meant to be. But kind of looking back and just kind of laughing at it yeah. in a way of of it not being so serious within the first to three dates, you know, and do fun and, and things not think, on yeah, dates. and do fun things. Don't go out to dinner. Don't go out to dinner. Don't go I'm to more a, focus on the food than the person yeah, across don't, from you. Don't go to a movie. Really, go go do something. Yeah, whether it's playing a game, mini golfing. Mini golf is a great first date. Even going on a hike. Hike is a great second date. Yes, I agree with that one. Hike's a great second date in the Colorado yes. area. But third or, date, you can go on a movie and get ice cream and talk about it after. Yes. If you're me, you go dancing. Yes, I love dancing. Finding people who can dance, like literally dance, not just metaphorically, like as Deacon Basil was saying. <laughs> Because that tells you a lot about how a person thinks and what they expect from you and whether or not they communicate well. Oh, yeah, I complete. Well, that's a whole other topic we can I can have another hour conversation on is communication and dance. But but I think it should be fun. It it should be like, hey, let's let's go to the park, throw around a Frisbee, kind of walk around, have fun kind of be silly, goofy, getting to know each other. And I'm getting these blank stares I, from the guys. <laughs> but but really, do like, do don't you want to... But come on, don't you want a partner that's not serious, that <laughs> that's not so serious, that can, like, go and yes. have fun with? You yes. want someone you can have fun with. And but I, if you can't do that, then why even discern? I, yeah. yeah, I actually, like, hard disagree with, like, a lot okay. of what you said. Really? Yeah. Okay, give it but to me. I'm curious I curious what Deacon thinks. What is the male perspective? 
I feel like I've been queued up. <laughs> well, then I, I'll give you a moment. Yeah. I'll give you a moment. Um, okay, so I, here's here's some thoughts. I mean, this is sort of that's sort of the line that Cap- young Catholics have been getting for like the last decade or more. Like, I mean, I've just heard I've heard that that exact line so many really? times. It talks like you know I'll go to these talks on like Catholic dating, and you know someone will say like, God, it's just you just ask the girl out. It's not so a big what's deal. the big deal? Like, because they ask, don't. Because the guys don't. It's still telling you. I'm they think if about it, but they overthink it. And, you know, like, okay, um, here's, here's, here's something a little controversial that I, th- okay. that I happen to think. Go I think for it. both uh, right now, you know, Catholic, uh, Christian dating generally, and secular dating both happen to share um, a, a huge flaw or a huge error uh, in how they approach dating. And that's that they're both afraid of, um, of romance. Of the romantic. And so um, there's this really beautiful essay by uh, Christopher Lash. Lash? Lash. He's a sociologist. He's best known for a work called The Culture of Narcissism. Um, But he has a collection of essays that was published posthumously by his daughter that are about um, women, the family, feminism, things like that. And he has such a fascinating take on all this. This one essay I'm thinking of, he's reviewing a book that traces the history of romantic love. And in this essay, Christopher Lash notes that there's a strange tendency for modern people to be uh, scared of eros, scared of romantic love, and um, kind of try to control it so that it's predictable, something mm-hmm. by nature that's unpredictable, trying to make, make it, it predictable, which is, a, which is sort of what modern people do with nature generally. Sure. Deacon mentioned contraception earlier, and you know, we think about like how important technology is in our lives. So we want to control nature because nature is scary and unpredictable. And so, you know, today you can go on a dating app that has like really smart algorithms that can pair you up with someone that has very similar interests based on statistical likelihood of compatibility. Um, and Christopher Lash, he, you know, he wrote this before, before that, before dating apps, but he writes in his essay, it's not uncommon today to hear young people reminisce and, and say, you know, maybe there was some wisdom to arranged marriages after all, because, you know, at least they brought people together and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe someone else did know what's best. And, you know, it's, it's so hard now and you don't know, you know, what to expect. And so maybe that would just make things easier if we had arranged marriages again. It's like, I've heard that. I've yeah, literally I've heard, heard that. that. And then you add on top of that in the Catholic world, people are horribly abusing the teaching of Thomas Aquinas, my, my favorite, mm-hmm. when they say, uh, guys, love, uh, love is not an emotion. It's an act of the will. So you gotta, wi- so love is a choice. So it's like, you know, even though, yeah, I can't stand being around my wife and my family, guys, I do it anyway out of love. That's actually a horribly disordered way to approach, um, for Aquinas, um, the, the, the virtuous person, the emotions are rightly ordered. And so for the virtuous person, they actually like overflow with joy when they see their beloved. Um, Aquinas himself treats charity in the context of the passions several times in the Summa, and uh, I don't think he would agree with that love is this like Kantian robotic act of the will. It's an emotional okay. experience. I, I agree. So far, nothing you've said, I, I disagree with. Uh, well, so here's the so... thing that I, that I don't like, is that you've taken away the myth of love. You know, or at least that's how I how I interpret it when people do this, like, guys, just go on a three, go on dates. You don't know yet, you know. You got to go on, like, tons and tons of dates so you can figure what out who's the, the right one for you and, and cross-check their... I their... don't know how that gets rid of the romantic love because at the same time, like, right? It's not all intellectual. 
No. Right? You're not going to talk your way into a relationship. You're going to experience it. And if you say, no, I'm not going to ask that person on a date because well, I, I have I have no idea. I don't really know her or, you know, mm-hmm. she might not be into me. And all these preconceived notions, like, you never have a chance for the romanticism. Yeah, but if you go on so many of these, like, casual, you know, first dates with so many people, you start to, like, lose this, under, you start to lose this, this longing you have that, like, God has chosen someone out there to be the one for you. Sure, but if you never go out with them, how do you find that person? I think there's a temptation to simply not date, and then you're 35. Yeah. And you've never asked a woman out. Yeah. Or you're 35 and you've never and you've never asked a man out. I think that's what you guys are kind of commenting on mm-hmm. as being the problem. Mm-hmm. And so just simply getting out there at a certain point, you're working towards that. And I think, Chris, what you're talking about, though, on the other hand, is that you've got this... I feel like I'm doing this group thing again. <laughs> um, but what it sounds like, Chris, you've got this, this other concern that there is a fine line between getting out there yeah. and dating and just simply you know going on all of these casual casual romantic pseudo romantic right. experiences and at a certain point that just kind of devolves into well I'm just it's kind of transactional transactional sure. yeah I mean I literally heard the line um, guys man up ask girls out it's not a big deal it's just a date it doesn't mean anything it's just social like there's something very beautiful about this idea that like you can actually have love at first sight with someone. You can fortuitously walk into the life of your spouse who was there at that, at that moment so that you two could meet. And like that first date is more than just not a big deal, just spending time together. That okay, first date, I, I, very romantic, but I don't believe in love at first okay. sight. Well, See, I, 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 I kind I of, in the myth okay, of so I, with Brian that I'm dating right now, I will say that, it's, it's probably as close as, like, love at first sight as you're going to get. Like, so it's that kind of that idea. And I remember our first date, and it was. It was very romantic. It was very much like, oh, this is different. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm not going to wait around and say no to every guy that asked me out, thinking that this guy's going to romantically sweep me off my feet one day. No. That's why... That's precisely why you shouldn't, um, I feel like dating should be approached as something actually of, of gravity. Because, like, it's not that you're going on a bunch of casual, meaningless dates, and it's also not that you're going on a bunch of dates where every single time you go on one, you think that this guy's Mr. Perfect, that, yeah. you know, God planted in your life because he's the one for you. It's that, you know, there's a certain amount of, uh, of there's a certain waiting, right? There's, like, there's, like, when, when it comes, it comes. And when you meet them, you'll know. And you'll feel it. And that's been my, that's been my experience. And that's also been, I think, the experience of people I know who are happily married. I remember when Brittany talked on our marriage program. So she's like, I knew. I just knew. Mm-hmm. I knew right away. I, I agree with you just because I've had that experience. But at the same time, like... At the same time, like, it's fortunate it happened early on in your lives, right? Fairly? Not necessarily for me, but 
Well, when did you it. when did you meet your wife? Um, three about three years ago. Okay, so that was mid twenties. Late. Late. Yeah. Oh, older than yeah. I think. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but but at the same time, like I I feel like what you're saying is okay. We sh- you just should just wait for that instant connection where you just know that that's going to be just the right person. You just eyes and your heart melts and the angels sing. But, but also I've, I've known couples, very successful in love couples, that it didn't ha- that moment didn't happen sure. until well into the dating process. Okay. And so, and if they never, if they're waiting for that moment of looking at that person be like, wait, oh wow, she's different. Like I want to, I want to sweep her off her feet or... No, okay, so a few distinctions. It's not that it has to be immediate and all at once. You know, you have to get to know, you know, the the person you're in love with so that your love for them can grow. But there has to be be that love. And the problem that I see with Catholic dating is that it's so transactional that there's actually no space for that love to emerge because the whole time you're in this process of, like, rational discernment and you're not actually engaging with right. well. That's what I'm saying. Not to do. But you're saying go on lots of dates. Yeah, and and and, and don't get too serious and don't really like. Well, get don't too think invested about it. Well, no, don't think about it as a transaction. Don't discern necessarily. Just just enjoy fun. each other. Okay. Get to know each other. That is a little different take. Yeah, okay. I'll, I, I'm saying I like I want to try to build connection first. Okay. Before you discern, so that's kind that's kind of what I mean by. Go on some dates. Okay. And, yeah. and like, just be yourself. Like, just be like, this is who I am. Let's enjoy each other. Let's get to know each other. Mm-hmm. And if by the end of maybe even know it, heck, I knew I knew it after a one date with this one well, guy. Well, so, yeah, but, yeah. Leave room for that, right? But, yeah. Allow like, yourself to feel that. Like, he made a comment of, like, well, I'm never going to do that. I'm like, okay, you are definitely not getting a second date. Like, you are not the person for me. Okay. But no, I want to I want to re- recant a little bit actually. Yeah. You know, Sheree, I, I think I heard some of what you said, and I like kind of projected onto it like these things I've heard before. Like, go on lots of dates; it's not a big deal. Man up and ask women out, and those were usually followed by you know, um, dating is just a time when you're not supposed to get too serious, and you just kind of you know check off all the boxes to see if they fit all your criteria. And so, like, what you're saying more is like. You know, go on dates, push yourself to go out of your comfort zone, and then just enjoy that. Enjoy that time with the people you're you're dating. Yeah. And I, I see that maybe as more of a gateway to true romantic love. I just want to make sure our culture has room for true romantic love and that we haven't obliterated it in the service of, like, trying to prudently arrange for our perfect NFP Catholic family <laughs> that we fantasize about. Sure. And, 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 and I agree with you. And... I'm actually proud of myself because I haven't used any of this language yet because I just saw Christopher West two days ago give a talk. So I'm like, don't use all that theology of the body language. <laughs> but um, but if like when I say like go on a few dates and just yeah, be yourself. And hopefully there's a fun, light side to that right. and not so serious side to that. So that way the other person can see you. Yeah can see you for who you really are and they can take it or leave it. And that's scary. It's easier to discern up front than do that. And a lot of people don't know who they are. Yeah. 
And Precisely. that's a scary place to be when it's like, I don't know if that's who I am. So but if I, we think yeah. about, you know, what we want for Catholic couples for marriage is to possess yourself in some way. Mm-hmm. Be like, here I am. I give you myself. Right? Maybe not fully in like the first couple of dates, but right. here's me. You present yourself in a date. Like yeah. in marriage, marriage is the giving of the self. Right. But if you don't possess yourself, if you don't know who you are, if you right. don't know your if strengths and your weaknesses. Right. If you're waiting for the marriage to define who you are. Right. Say that again louder. <laughs> yeah. If you're waiting That's for really the good. marriage to define who you are, it's going to be harder to, to really define good. your spouse. Yes. I am going to jump in here because okay. I've been trying to say something. I'm for so You sorry. guys are all, all on it and this is really great. But I think one of the big struggles that we have is that we put every time a man and a woman have any kind of interaction, it has this sort of aspect of, oh, well, they're dating. No, yeah. they're going to be asked out on a date. And I think you know, that adds to that kind of concern that I have. I think, you know, deep down, my, my sort of sociological hat has been really interested in the destruction of the village, you know, mm. especially in Orthodox and Eastern Catholic world. The village was everything. We talk about the great city of Constantinople and all of that, but really deep down, it was the village. It was the village that is, and it was in the West as well. The village was how life was lived by most of our ancestors. And that has completely been obliterated in most of the way in which we we act. And so now we're in this really weird world where young adults really do kind of congregate in sort of groups. But I've been to some of these young adult meetings and all the women sit on one side of the room and all the men sit on the other, except for that one guy, right? Who's constantly over there trying to get a date or something. And I think that that, that problem is, is that there's no integration it's of, the, of the gym. Village. It's, it's an yeah. artificial village, but, it, but it's not even a village. It's not the, a village. The, yeah. the village is you integrate and this is the person that you married is the person that you've been around for the last, 30, you know, 20 years yeah. that you've kind of had this experience of them kind of developing. And so now we've got this really artificial world where ironically, I think we're more segregated than we were back a few centuries ago. That's, uh, that's so good. Uh, yeah. I, lo- I love that you brought it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so into that. Right? And, and the artificial village is sometimes the parish. Yes. And I, and I actually think maybe not, my parish, which only has a hundred people in it, but I and most of them are married, but I do think sometimes that parish can function in that way. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, I do think that finding a spouse or finding um, some one of the opposite gender to at least spend some time with so good. in the parish is the place is the place to start. You know that that village thing is so good. I mean, this is sort of. I've thought about this too, right? Like, you know, you, you see a movie that's a period piece that takes place in like the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries. And it's like, there's a village where there are young, there are children, there are young people, there are middle-aged people, and there are old people. You know, there are people who have different functions. And typically, there's like a guy and a girl. And, they're, you know, like there's one, <laughs> there's one, there are one or two people out there in your age group that are like eligible for you to date. And... And so you'd think what, how much harder our ancestors must have had it than us because they didn't have this limitless supply of um, swipe rights on their dating <laughs> app. And, and, uh, and we do. And yet we have a harder time finding someone. And I think it's because if you don't have this mythos of love, you'll never, you know, I mean, what, was, was it Freud who called love like a temporary psychosis? Like, <laughs> Probably. He, he explicitly used the word eros. I love in it. In that situation. I love it. And and there's something there, right? It's because, like, you need to believe 
you need to believe that you can truly fall in love because how else were we ever going to get people paired up in the village? <laughs> well, and that's absolutely true. But I think the irony here is that what it has done, the, the, the death of the village, what it has done is it has led us to make every interaction be a date, yeah. every yeah. interaction be a romantic yep. um, one. And to the point, I remember, I remember being in seminary and going and getting coffee with this girl who I had literally gone on a mission trip to Guam with. Right. And she happened to be in town. There was no romantic feelings on either side. Yeah. But the, are you dating this woman? What's the concern? What, it's like, yeah. we're getting coffee. Yeah. It's just coffee. And that's it. And that, There's like you know, no room to be friends. Yes. Can men and women be friends? This is the age-old right. question. Well, but this, not even friends, just getting coffee together. Right. Yeah. right? Associates. Like, right. Like acquaintances. Like had been a conversation without it not meaning something more. Yeah. Yes. And that's a great way to meet people is through friends. That's, uh, that's my two cents. Is that yeah. I think, you know, if you have a, 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 net, a network, if you're plugged into your village, you're more likely to meet someone. And then, you know, you have a well-defined self because you have your, your self-defined, especially if you, you have roles that are meaningful in your village, in your community. And then someone, a single person that you want to date enters into that world. And now you're like opened up. You're like dis well disposed. See, my wife defines it, and I'm giving her the attribution for this. Just, just I hope you appreciate how difficult this is. Moment of humility. You know, my wife calls it. She says, "You date you like you can't find anyone to date because you're not an interesting person on your uh, to begin with." Yes. Because you're not a self first. Your wife is. And you're a smart woman. and you're squandering your singlehood by. Always trying to um, be, you know, by not by not working on yourself. Uh -huh. There is a lot, as the person who's been married here the longest, I think I can say this. You can't do as intensive work on yourself when you're worried about your spouse. Yeah. Because you have to work on the marriage as well. You have yeah. the anxieties of the marriage. Now, ironically, I think the best thing to mature men more than anything else, including ordination, more, more important than all of that is marriage. I think it makes men become much more, much more um, mature men. in that regard. And I think really, really helpful. But... I think we need to be focused on helping, on, on working on ourselves. And that can be something as, as um, interesting as like finding that really special passion in your life. Yeah. You know, we, we were talking oh, about another really. passion earlier, which was really quite funny. But um, that real specific passion in your life, because that will find interest. People will be interested in that. And that will open you up to a world that, a village, yeah. or an aspect of the village yeah. that you don't have. As much to. as we can get in the modern world. That's how it works with a lot of things, right? You don't you don't hit the target if you aim for the target. You you hit it when you aim for beyond for, the target. Beyond the target, exactly. You know, like um, like um, you don't aim for sainthood, but you don't become a saint by aiming for mm -hmm. sainthood. You become a saint by aiming for Jesus, following Jesus, being yeah, yeah closer to Jesus. Right. You you meet your spouse doing what you love. That I mean, that was my experience. Yeah, I mean, I met my wife. On a uh, on a mission program that we were starting together, like I met her doing ministry, I wasn't intending to meet her. You I, were I was doing. Were you doing ministry to meet your spouse? No, I was doing ministry because I had nothing else to do during the summer. Um, <laughs> and I like that though. And I think it was yeah. really um, an important development. So yeah. I think I think work on yourself. Yeah. But don't do it in a narcissistic navel gazing way. No. Right. No. But. Work on that will eventually yeah. yes. develop. Yeah, in work on yourself in order to become a saint. 
Because if you are running towards Jesus, other people who are also running towards Jesus are going to be attracted to that. Because if you're running together, it's more fun. Yeah, yeah right. I just yeah. want to splice this back into the section on the village. Real quick. So, there's this incredible book. The, the, the notes are down, or the, the direction, the yeah. link is down in the show notes. Um, it's about, it's called Bowling Alone. Bowling alone. Bowling alone. I've heard of this. It is phenomenal. What it does is it looks at sort of the research and it says in the 1970s, we were a culture in the United States of bowlers. We would go to bowling leagues. We would join the Elks. We would join the Knights of Columbus. We would do all of these different kinds of groups and, and things. And with the advent of the television in particular, but yeah, I mean, you can throw the internet in there. You can throw computing in there. You can throw you can all of those things. Go back to radio or the printing press. Right, yeah. right. But, but but all of these things put people outside of you know outside of these communities. They put them in the home, mm-hmm. in there. And I think what has happened is that we have done that as a culture and as a society. We're now completely fixated on our on ourselves and in the moment in in ourselves. The irony is is that. You don't find a spouse, you don't find a date, you don't find an interesting person, a community, by sitting at home, what, you mean, even on you Facebook. You mean young eligible men aren't going to come traipsing through my living room while I'm watching Netflix? Sometimes you know, it's really interesting that I white nights on, on like Reddit right. or Twitter, and that that could be. I really hope no young men are traipsing through your home uh, while you're watching oh Netflix. Gosh, it's yeah. just that would be weird. not a good idea. But I do think there's something to that, and I think that that's, this concept of the death of the village is 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 not just a it's not just an old thing. It's not something that died 200 years ago. Is it something that died, you know, since the 1970s? Yeah, well, it probably. I mean, I I, I would want to I would want to trace its roots to the rise of like early modern individualism and the loss of uh, you know understanding of the common good in the church and all that. Oh yeah, no, it William of Ockham's nominalism and all that stuff. Right, it it, it certainly is. It, 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 Descartes. Descartes, yeah, no, uh, um, it certainly doesn't. You know, remove. Um, yeah, we can't remove any of that, or or, or say that that the death of uh, of uh, the village was outside of the philosophic um, and, and theological and, and psychological movements of, of the culture. But I do think it, the effects are really present. And we as a society have not dealt with that. No. We have not dealt with that at all. One related thing here to this village versus this artificial village, I think it's really important to spend time with people outside of your age group. You know, I mean, this is one thing you get. Yes. This is one of the reasons why college is so challenging because you know, it's like completely unnatural for like any species to be thrown into a milieu with like 5,000 other people, your age group that are all like looking to date. Like that's artificial in the village. You would spend time with your elders in the village. You would spend time serving the elderly in the village. You would spend time with children in the village. You would spend time with married people to learn from them. If your entire life is a singles group, it's going to be a disaster. I think yeah. I'm friends with more couples than single people. I think it's a good thing to have a variety in your life. I think you... Yeah. I, I, I have a friend who's a deacon for crying out loud. Yeah, he's weirdo. He is weird. I know. He's probably younger than all of you, actually. Now that I think about it. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, um, no. No, just barely. Um, but I do think there is a, a point to this that is to say, you know, things like how does... Well, where does this kind of sort of development of the of the elders training the young yeah. in this. I, I mean, for me, that was an experience at the seminary, um, which I really do think was probably the best thing that happened to me because it, it, it sent me off in that direction. But I think that image of how can I have a really frank conversation with elder people who have come before me 
about these kinds of things, about this, this concept of like, I'm really struggling in not just prayer, but I'm really struggling in, I don't know, I'm really struggling in, in getting up and going to class. I'm really struggling, you know, whatever these kinds of things might be. I think that that development is, is lacking in our culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a real tragedy. And I think that actually is one of the real keys of why therapy is so important in the modern era right now is it's someone else. Not, not that the therapist needs to be older. I think I'm probably younger than almost all of my clients, but I think what it does do is it gives an outsider's perspective on things yeah, yeah. and is Absolutely. one of the kind of developments of, of, of reclaiming that, I, that village. I, I think so too. I think it's pretty Absolutely. to have that. Yeah, you, you know, like um, someone t- to whom you go or to seek that, to seek that counsel. Yeah. Like this is someone who is specially trained in giving counsel and giving wisdom on life. Like if you want to be a better hunter, you go to the best hunter in the village. If you want to be a good seamstress, you go to the best seamstress and you learn and you are a, a, a disciple almost under them. So that's yeah. a little bit of a different thing. You know, we talked about it in our episode on like myths about counseling, how counselors don't actually give counsel a lot of the time. I think, you know, what was in a marriage prep episode, uh, Grace and I, my wife and I talked about how we, we had men, a mentor couple. During mm-hmm. prep. That was really great. So I think that's, that's, that's sort of one way you can get that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like the old guild, the old, uh, you know, learn from the experts kind of um, tradition is, is you seek out friends who, who have done this well. Like right. who are friends who mm-hmm. have successfully like, you know, who are really in love with their spouse. And the cool thing, my wife works with the elderly and she meets people. She works right now in hospice and she, she's worked a few times with a couple. They're both in their nineties and they're both at the end of their lives. And she says they're so in love. Yeah. Aww. They like look at each other. Like they, they have like impaired, you know, speech and cognition they look at each other like longingly and whenever one of them has to leave the room, the other one like frowns. Aww, that's so cute. Please don't leave. But I feel like even if you ask the couples that, you know, seem to be doing well, seem to have a great marriage, most likely you'll find it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's hard, not easy. Yeah. It, and it's almost like a reality check for you that the, the people who are really in love and make it look easy, it really isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some commitment there. Yeah. Well, in the best case is they have a village to support them. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, well, and yeah. that's that's the other thing is that what the village removes with, with the death of the village, now we have a village of two. Mm-hmm. And it puts immense pressure on marriages. That you have to be the end-all, be-all fulfillment of my social engagement. Right, which is... It's related to what you said earlier about this sort of heresy yeah. that, like, the telos of my life is not to love and serve God and to live in community. It's to be married to someone mm-hmm. awesome and be an awesome spouse. And raise awesome little things together. <laughs> I, I know we're almost out of time, yeah. but I do have one more comment to make because you talked a lot about the dating culture in the Catholic community. And I think that some of it can be applied to the overall general Christian community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for and sure. And we don't really have time to delve into it, but, you know, there's a whole debate of, can you date somebody who's not Catholic but Christian? Can and, you date someone who's not, a, not, who's secular, who's not a believer? Yeah. And that's a whole other kind of avenue to go go in, but I almost don't want it to limit, like, because I think there is this belief of, like, my only choices are this guy and this guy, and I don't want either, but I have to marry a Catholic, it's so like I have voting. to be okay Lesser with somebody <laughs> of these. 
right? But I think there's also beautiful, faithful, devout Christian men. Yeah. And, and even good married couples that I hear of, like they're in their 80s and they're like, yeah, somebody ended up converting at some point of time. And maybe mm-hmm. that never happens, but they live a holy life that grows closer to God. That, that marriage is meant to. I, yes. I think I think that can be a temptation to say I can only ever date a Catholic. Right. Yeah. Um, I think what I would recommend is date people whose moral, general moral yeah. um, structure is similar to yours. Correct. Yeah. Um, but if there's a specific, I mean, if there's a specific theological debate, my I mean, that actually is might... a phenomenologist. Oh, oh, don't even. <laughs> and I'm a Thomist. Don't even. I can't even believe that's allowed canonically. I, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to submit a, a, a case to the tribunal and find this out. Oh, but no, I mean, no. But I think I think that's key. Yeah. My grandfather had four wonderful Catholic women, and they married. Um, they married non-Catholics. Had four. Women. I'm sorry, daughters, daughters, daughters. daughters, daughters okay. Four Catholic okay. daughters who grew up to be wonderful Catholic. Who women. grew up to be Catholic, wonderful Catholic women. And every single one of them married a non-Catholic mm-hmm. and converted, uh, and their husband converted. So there are four converts to the faith because. Um, so the rule is that a Catholic woman should date, can, can date a non-Catholic, <laughs> but a Catholic Alert man. Well, I mean, I don't know that that's the yeah. case, but, but I generally have a little more faith in in uh, the, the <laughs> in women. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, my father was Protestant. Yeah, that's really cool, actually. Yeah. He became a young but, deacon. But yeah, I don't, because I felt like the whole conversation was so limited in just that we kept saying mm-hmm. the Catholic, Catholic community. Yeah, sure. And so, no, there, there's more out there than just that. Like, what yeah, but I, know there, yourself. Defi- yeah, know yourself. Know yourself. Know how know firm you stand in your faith. Yeah. And know, know your intentions. Are you are you some narcissist who's dating because you want to be like super, super converter over here and get a notch on your belt and be like, Psh, yeah, I converted my girlfriend. Right. Right? That's no, probably not but, healthy. No. But no, because you, you need to be okay with marrying that person if they don't convert. Right. You, you, I you think need that's to be, key, yeah. Yeah, you need Absolutely. to be on the... But I agree with you, Deacon Basil, and you need to agree on the big things. Mm-hmm. The, the moral ground, how you're going to raise your children, be okay with your differences in regards to religion, and and go from there, because I think there might even be some more spiritual people out there that... That's oh, not Catholic. Yeah, I hope and I so, hope they listen. I hope yeah. we get some Protestant listeners. Absolutely. If we want to wrap so, up by sh- maybe sharing a final thought on Catholic dating, like a final takeaway. I don't know what would be your takeaway. Uh, my you my big takeaway is threefold. My big takeaway is three things. <laughs> I'm listening. L- leave it to a cleric to say something that narcissistic. Um, first and foremost, be interesting yourself. Because if you're not interesting yourself, if you're not fulfilling yourself, if you don't give life in your own life, then it's going to come out sideways. And even if you go and get get the ring by spring, it's going to be destructive in a, in the marriage. And I've seen it yeah. a thousand ways to Sunday. Yeah. You've got to be yourself before you can be married. You just have to. Mm-hmm. The second thing that I would say is, you know, that there is this need to have both a seriousness but also a, a fun a, a levity to male female relationships and if you're going too far on one direction maybe you need to look at, at pulling that back it's the old the old behavioral cognitive behavioral approach if you're too far on one if you've got a problem on one you go to the you know you go to the other if, you're, if it's all about marriage 
go and have coffee with some, you know, with someone. If it's not, if it's, if it's, if it's all just fun, maybe be a little bit more selective. Yeah. And then the third thing was brilliant, but I can't remember it. Um, so we can maybe, back to you. Yeah. <laughs> what else? Um, do you have no, I feel like we said so much. Did you remember? No. Okay. Um, mine is that uh, there's a wise rabbi once said that so the Song of Songs is the interpretive key to the whole of Scripture. Yeah. And that's my defense of romantic love <laughs> being a truly Catholic, truly biblical notion. Speaking of romance, um, the thing that came up for me was this quote by G.K. Chesterton. Romance is the deepest thing in life. It is deeper than reality. And I think that really speaks to the divine love and the love to which we are called, ultimately. Absolutely. Uh, I can think of no better place to end than Yeah, that. let's go ahead and end there. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time on the Catholic Psyche Podcast.